Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. You are in another state in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm in the. I'm in the. Not the, a mental state. Uh, <laughs> state as in a, a, a geographic region. Yeah, I'm coming to you today from um, from uh, Williams, Arizona. Uh, a true American town. I don't know actually what its slogan is, but it's probably something like that. Uh, like it's like on the fr- a frontier town. It's like the town closest to the Grand Canyon. Um, it's this like, this, uh, this comedian Judah Friedlander was talking about this American quality of marketing anything and how other countries will kind of it's against they're always against marketing or bragging and Americans be like we have the world's largest toilet bowl. <laughs> and like, that's what the town is known for. Yeah, this is uh, this is. I mean, this town's not a toilet bowl, but <laughs> but it, I mean, it is like we're. I'm in the middle of kind of like a. It, I don't know. There's no building over a story. It's kind of cool. It's got like an Americana feel to it, but it's like touristy. Do they have a slogan? Well, that's what I can't remember if they have a slogan. They have a lot of motels, uh, and they have like a main strip with like all old neon signs. Like they're really trying to. Seems like champion the aesthetic of like 1960s Americana kind of thing. And, w- and what brought you there? Well, because we wanted to visit the Grand Canyon on our way uh, down south. We, um, we're spending um, Christmas with Kristen's family or the holidays, uh, and we're gonna we like rented a house near Tucson. Uh, so because we, we wanted to do some day trips in the desert, but on our way there, I've never seen the Grand Canyon. So have you? And how did you like the Grand Canyon? Oh, um, well, I just asked if you had seen it, but uh, the great, well, first of all, today we I was we're, there when I was 15, but it's a oh, okay. I saw a lot of you there. <laughs> I saw a lot <laughs> of like... Sort of landscape the, animations. Like 15-year-olds that were like looking at the ground and like, can we go to the gift shop? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it was amazing. It's like, it's pretty hard. Here's one thing about it that I think is really interesting for me as an artist anyway, is that the scale of it is so large that it's almost impossible to put in perspective what you're looking at. So because it's like 25 miles long and, uh, or more, no, it's more than that. It's almost 25 miles wide. You mean? Yeah. Wide at its widest yeah. point. And who knows how many miles long actually, like you can't, it's really like see when a lake becomes an ocean where you, you can't see the end of it. Exactly. And so it like, yeah, it'll be like, Oh, there's the Canyon. Oh, and there's like another Canyon beyond that. Oh, it's the same Canyon. It's na- oh, there's, and there's a mountain after that. And it's, it's, it's as far as you can see, um, sort of like uh, weird twisty canyons and, and mountain shapes. And it looks like a little that is, city. That is interesting that uh, a lot of human uh, thinking is based on units and control and being able to grasp something. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, there's there's one cow, there's three cows. And there's these limits where uh, when things become industrial size and huge and abstract. So I guess you're, you're at that part where things become unperceivable well, it's because it's kind of interesting uh, because Kristen was with me and she was like you don't seem that impressed and I was like I don't know what to be impressed by yet you know having like, like-, like you would be more impressed by someone <laughs> with a shoe size of 20 or something <laughs> where you can really grab like wow that's a big foot <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it, so it wasn't until like I started walking off the trail or, or when the iPhone like- became like <laughs> one millimeter slimmer you're like wow <laughs> well, yeah what have we achieved <laughs> What planet do we live? This planet we live on, it's amazing. But I, I mean, yeah. yeah, I think it was. it's interesting because later we were at like a smaller canyon and there were some like other people there sort of chatting and they were talking about how they they preferred it to the Grand Canyon. 
And I was, I was like, really? Like, <laughs> do you really prefer this shitty like little canyon? And they're like, it's the Grand Canyon, and then the tiny, no, the 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 OK Canyon. Well, they said it was because they could see it, which I yeah. thought was really interesting because they could see it, which meant they they could contain it in a single breath or a single um, single view, right? Yeah, it's it's like you will never see the size of humanity. You can you read the number and you're not sure if that's true or not and mm-hmm. you don't know what that means and it's too yeah. abstract. Yeah. So I kept trying to I ch- kept trying to take pictures but I was never able really to take a good picture of the Grand Canyon. The, my most liked picture on Instagram is a selfie which says something like no one would like the Grand Canyon. They only like my head in the Grand Canyon. Well, it's because there's so many pictures of the Grand Canyon. No, I think true. if, if you true. would fly to Mars and take a picture there it would be pretty impressive. Not unless I had a my, my head in it, though. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, we don't know if it was you or a robot. Um, no, but I kept trying to like relate the scale to the scale of it, and so I went off, off the trail, and I would like sort of just sit there or walk. You know, you had to. You kind of. I don't know. You know, when you get this is a good. So the topic today is vacation, right? But when you go on vacation, there's a certain amount of pressure to see it all, to do it all. I don't know if you're that type of vacationer, or to do absolutely nothing. But there's a certain performance to vacation. And mm, I, I, yeah, uh, I, I think I have the luxury of traveling a lot, and then I don't have that anxiety of oh, I only have one vacation every two years, so it has to be unbelievable. <laughs> right, right, yeah. But you also, and there's now this additional pressure of making sure you're reporting your vacation to others so that they feel bad that they're not on vacation that they're having a worse vacation. Um, and I mean, you're right. Like as an artist, you get to you get to kind of go on vacation uh, because you travel. As a, as an artist who does get to travel, not every artist does. Yeah, but well, it, it it's funny the the idea of vacation when your job is your hobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I almost didn't bring my computer along with me because Kristen almost banned it, me from bringing it. She's like, "You're not bringing your computer, are you?" And I was like, "Well, but I might want to like." do some like you know playing around with something <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I really look forward to I remember to sitting at a, at a dinner and Hans Ulrich Oberst was there the famous curator mm-hmm. and uh, the topic of vacation came on and he's like oh I hate vacation I remember I had a vacation in 1987 I was absolutely miserable <laughs> never again <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I think that's just because certain people have uh you know some some kinds of work are the type are not really not everyone enjoys their work or the type of work you do is like really exhausting. And art being an artist can be exhausting and you need to take a break from it. But the type when I'm on vacation, I actually make my best work, I find. For for me, because when I'll, I think of vacation, yeah. it it's a physical thing where you go to somewhere where you really like the climate and what you see. Mhm. That to me, that's uh, something that lacks living in a, a big city with a, either very hot or very cold. Mm-hmm. And just the idea of being somewhere very pleasant, which culturally is kind of boring, but it's nice for two weeks. Yeah, I mean, the thing is... Like, uh, like you you yeah. told me about when you went to Costa Rica and it was the first time you walked into the ocean and you weren't in pain. That's right. Yeah, it was crazy. I was like, "Wow, people." So, so being from Toronto, I'm sure a lot of people will do a break to, for the for the reasons of weather. Mm-hmm. That's true. Like to, to to have a break in the winter because the winter's so long. In fact, a lot of them live. Uh, they're called snowbirds. Like half of the year here, like in Arizona or um, in Florida and stuff like that. It's it's a common so thing to do. The idea. The yeah yeah. So there's 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 the. the Comfort level and weather and food and, and those reasons for travel. And there's sort of a, a relief from uh, routine and, 
uh, a relief from stress. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like the itinerary-based vacation, which is the one I'm on because I'm with, um, and I actually yeah, don't I'm, mind it. I, I try to avoid uh, too many <laughs> different relocations during a trip. Like I'd rather just go to one place for two weeks. Mm. Yeah, so I'll be like relocating myself, like because I'm with uh, Kristen and her sister. And I, I, at first, I was irritated by this early on. I can remember even on our honeymoon, it was like seven a.m. and I was, and Chris was like, "We gotta go, we gotta go check out Angry Gables House," and then we gotta go do this, and then we gotta do that. And she was like super excited, and I was like, "But we're on vacation, <laughs> shouldn't we yeah, just rest?" Yeah. I remember. I don't know if it was the same for you, but th- there's this generation of uh, before me of art teachers that did these uh, work vacations where they. Mm. Uh, travel as minimal as possible and bring uh, 70 rolls of black and white film and then index, uh, uh, I don't know, envelopes around the world and as many as possible. Mm. That's And so their idea of sitting and enjoying themselves and it seems so bourgeois. No, they're going there and the, it's a, the whole trip is a conceptual work. Mm. Well, there's actually... Um a James Terrell that's being installed right near where I'm staying, which is weird. Like, I feel like I'm in a place devoid of all art uh, or artists, except for like people who actually, there's a lot of crafts. And I I think this isn't an episode about craft, but there's some like, you love the outside arts. Yeah. Well, like some of the, the craft is like Navajo craft and some of it's actually really awesome. Like yesterday. um, And it's not suspectingly awesome. Like there are these weird trading, there's these trading posts and they're kind of terrible. Where they're like hawking dream catchers and stuff. But we were just stopping at random. There are all these like little random kind of like um, little stalls by the side of the road where like, on, especially on the reservation, there's like a Navajo reservation and it's in the middle of the desert. There's like absolutely nothing. But then there are people that are selling the things that they've made. Now, some of them have become really commercial in, in terms of what they sell. And this is going to sell. This is weird. Like I'm uncomfortable with this. I'm just going to put it out there though. But then yesterday, the last person we visited, um, she was. A, she had like she was telling us about her life, and it was like pretty crazy, terrible. Like she lives off of battery power, and she broke her glasses because she ran out of batteries and stepped on. It's like it was like legit poverty. But then the work that she had created, some of it was incredible. She did like copper work, but the best thing she she showed us that we bought a few of these things. She just had rocks, like a bunch of rocks, and she had like um, wrapped copper wire around it, very very little thin, like delicate wire around these like really rough rocks from the landscape and then she told a story about how she like goes out with her grandmother and picks up these rocks or whatever and <clears throat> legitimately you could sell these rocks delicately wrapped in copper wire in new york for like a hundred dollars each and she was like i'll give you three for twenty dollars or whatever she was selling them for like 10 bucks each and they're probably only worth that if it was a rock right but um it was it was i don't know i don't know where i'm going with this except it was like really exquisite work like because it the contrast between it's uh, funny hearing you and uh, after you, you you were on another trip where you went to the Outsider Art Museum and you were so annoyed. And uh, I hated you that. Char- now you seem charmed. <laughs> I was very charmed by this particular woman because she was so positive. She's like out in the cold selling essentially like rocks wrapped in copper. Um, and the tourists that came by were like sneering at it. And I was and I, and they were like they're actually really amazing. She had like petrified wood, which is like a very rare kind of thing just to come across. It's like from her backyard. 
and just that she's lived in that landscape her whole life. And, and I don't know. I really like the story attached to it. Uh, I, but I was terrible. I'm like, the reason I'm uncomfortable is I was like the whole time I was thinking like, God, if only I could market this woman. <laughs> like, I, was, I asked her if she had an online store. I was yeah, like, it's like could... this, this city person coming to the country and be like, you guys don't understand the value of your property here. Let's uh, merchandise it and blah, blah, blah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I can't remember if on the outside or upset I mentioned that movie about this. Um, there's this woman in the Maritimes in Canada named Maud who, you know, is an outsider artist who painted these like, you know, just painted like pieces of wood and stuff like that. And then she became like a, a sensation and her work never really sold for very much, but she became famous. Um, and that tension between like the outsider artist just doing this beautiful thing and then like the, the city slicker coming in and being like, wow, what you do is just so authentic compared to my like hideous contri- contrived life. Right. But um I don't know. I don't know why I say this, except that you need these. Sometimes when you're on vacation, you have these moments where, because you're outside of your normal circumstance. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because uh, it, maybe originally the, the idea of travel was to find other worlds that were unknown to you and that were untouched by your civilization or your way of life. Mm-hmm. So three, four hundred years ago, going to another continent and encountering a completely different way of life. And so a lot of vacation or travel is the hope of finding something that is very different from you and surprising. Mm-hmm. But the contradiction is that uh, the whole world is so media-saturated and travel has become so cheap that uh, everything's streamlined and and um, things are optimized to communicate with each other. So there's not that alien encounter. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to think, I was just like to loop back on being an artist. One thing you get as an artist that the average person doesn't get on vacation is you get a local who tells you about yeah, the Yeah, yeah, but the you're... idea of a local, it, it, it's also maybe the bubble thing, but the, mm. the locals that I encounter are coming from the same world and they listen to the same music and the same movies and they mm. went to art school probably and we speak the same right. language. So, so you're not getting a real local. Or not even a local, but you can't even speak about local, but it's more like whether you're in Frankfurt or Vancouver, Mm -hmm. it's not that different. Or or maybe if if you have this idea of class tourism, where you would go into another world where people are of a very different background. You mean like poverty tourism? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really. I mean, that makes me very uncomfortable. But essentially, yeah, that's, yeah, that's same why. For me. That, but, but that's but why I felt if, uncomfortable. If you yesterday. want to encounter a really different way of life, mm-hmm. but maybe that kind of discomfort is important. Like that's the discomfort I felt as you know, you know, this woman was telling me how she couldn't afford a pair of glasses, and um, yeah. you know, and we're talking about her art. And what I really wanted to do was just talk about her art, actually. But then, of course, like the circumstances of that that work mattered. Um, I don't know. And she had more interesting art. Like it wasn't, she wasn't trying to do a traditional thing for what people thought. You know, there's a kind of cultural appropriation in this area that's really also unsettling. Um, and they still, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to get down the whole indigenous rights uh, kind of cultural appropriation thing in America because it's a big topic for maybe never a day on this podcast, particularly. But it is, you know, when people are selling you this thing as a tourist that's supposed to be a symbol of where you are. And that thing isn't actually anymore a symbol of where you are. It's like a symbol of colonization <laughs> or something. It's like, I don't know. Oops. Yeah. yeah. It's like if you go to Brussels, everyone's going to buy. I was like, wondering, I was going to ask you, uh, do you feel guilty about travel? Because you're uh, using uh, transportation, which is not very good for the planet. 
just for your own pleasure. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask that, but the guilt already came up without me asking. So yeah, like I'm just. I was curious at what point the guilt would come up. <laughs> yes, I'm leaving that uh, that miserable life of guilt that you, you always remind <laughs> me of, constantly guilty. Um, but anyway, I think it, it's it's interesting to be at somewhere like the Grand Canyon, and, and also the thing to see there is that everyone. So it, it's so crazy. Like I'd say, like 99 of the people are all just at the visitor center. And they don't travel ten feet away from it, so they I like. I remember being at a visitor center in the U.S. at the Smoky Mountains, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's North Carolina, and I heard these two tourists sitting there at the visitor center, and they were talking about, "Oh, I would never go to the beach. There's so many sharks there. I, no, there's no way I would ever <laughs> go in the ocean. No, that's just suicide. Yeah. I've heard of so many stories." Right. <laughs> well, it was like that a little bit. Like, don't you want to walk outside the visitor center and then down this path? Like, and so Kristen and I walked, um, you know, for a couple hours off the beaten path. But you, looking back at the visitor center, there's like a kind of a looking like a a viewing station, and it just looked like a crowd of lemmings sort of standing on this ridge. But there's nothing wrong with uh, having an extremely safe life. There's really, mm. I I don't see any moral problem there. It's not a moral problem. I'm just like I think when we're on vacation, the point I'm trying to make is that there are two paths. There's the safe path, and then there's the unsafe path. The 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 path of adventure. <laughs> I imagine you in some kind of Mad Max world, <laughs> with like some tribal post cyberpunk outfit, and you're like on the unbeaten charts, and you've met all these weird people, and you started a tribe. And <laughs> I legitimately want. That's what I'm saying. Like when I when we got because. Kristen now is like is also into this, which is we're just going to go out and see things without a plan. But I love it when I don't know. I grew up in a family when we went on vacation, we didn't have a plan. It was actually scary at times. Like we didn't do it very often, but we would just drive and we wouldn't have a hotel to stay in it. We would just look for one, and when we found one, we'd just stay there. But so much of like our lives through our digital experiences now are so micromanaged and planned. Like yeah. even choosing a restaurant takes actually way longer than well, it did. I'm gonna I'm gonna counter all this. Yeah, yeah, usual. okay. But I'm just saying, so, like, we're living yeah. that Yelp life, you know. So I I come from a background where my parents uh, would have to be have the wild camping out in nature, uh, finding a place and like digging a hole, and that's the toilet. And <laughs> You know, like no humanity in sight, just being as far away from civilization as possible. Mm -hmm. My preferred way of vacation now, because there is, there's work travel and there's vacation, but um, my mom's from Brazil, so I still have family there and I can stay there anytime. And then I just know the beach, I can walk to it, it's in three minutes. I I have a couple of favorite restaurants and I might run into someone who recommends another one. Mm. I have my family there. And then about once a year, I go to Japan for an exhibition, and then I might do a trip there as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm completely one million percent at peace if the rest of my life, my vacations are in Japan and Brazil and everything's familiar. I have no sense that I'm missing out, that I'm not on some uh, abandoned mountain in Vietnam and I'm going to miss that opportunity. If the rest of my life I'm at Ipanema Beach and in Tokyo having tea, I'm completely happy with that. You're like uh, Bjork in that uh, Lars von Trier movie, uh, Dancer in the Dark. You've seen it all. <laughs> no, I, I haven't seen it all, but I'm just happy with the fact that uh, there's many things I won't see, but I just love that beach and I love Tokyo and I'm completely happy with that. I think you're making a good point, which is that like, 
I, I keep talking about how I'm trying to activate my brain and but a lot about <laughs> vacation is like turning it off, right? Or like giving yourself the space not or, to be or challenged. finding enjoyment. Yeah. So the, yeah. The, the, uh, there's that thing that I was t- trying to talk about the, the, with my teachers and that generation where they see uh, they don't go on vacation, but they travel and the travel is a conceptual work. And like a lot of Dutch mm-hmm. Most Dutch people that I know in the arts somehow, I remember going to Chicago and I did a talk and there was this Dutch um, furniture designer also did a talk. And the first thing he did was rent a bike and he rode around for 16 hours that day and he came back and he was completely sunburned, but he'd seen every piece of architecture in Chicago. <laughs> and, and I just stayed in one street and uh, met up with some friends and... Uh, I didn't see that much. I saw the the big bean, and, uh, and yeah. that was about it. And well, here, here's yeah. the here's the thing that, that's contradictory to what I the, here's a tension I feel. It's a contradiction to my actual philosophy. But with like Google Maps, like getting higher and higher resolution, and like you know every photo having been taken. Like I said earlier, like when I had to put my face in the Grand Canyon, the picture of the Grand Canyon had no value. A lot of what vacationing is is just proving that you were in a place that everyone already knows but there's already an th- that index sounds for. like you don't enjoy it when you're there no i'm just trying like i feel this tension whenever i travel especially to like a landmark and, like you mentioned the chicago bean i've got i have to go see the chicago bean you know the, to say that i was there you know or t- because and be- what is on your bucket list what are things you still I, well, i've feel seen like the bean like a, a dozen times uh well I, I, what's on my bucket list well tokyo yeah, like, or something it, like Going to like Shibuya or something like going yeah, to like. But, yeah, but do you think you would only go there to take the selfie, and uh, other than that, you don't even enjoy being there? I think what you're going, and what was interesting for me at the Grand Canyon was actually I had built an image in my head of what the Grand Canyon was that it's not, and so you're going to verify that the tr- that it's true. What you've you've thought was there is truth, or is true, and it's a, and that's where I think it's perverted. Is this. Um, why do I have this? Why do I have this desire to seek out the real thing, the real truth? Well, why am I, I not okay with the I simulation? Think one of the, I think one of the things is also the the city and the dense populated area versus the empty lands. Mm-hmm. And because most of us live in pretty densely populated areas, um, the the empty parts are very fascinating to us because we don't encounter them that often. Mm-hmm. It, it's a lot of effort to go there. Even you live in Canada. A lot of Canada is empty. Yeah, that's true. Um, but you don't go so often because your, your daily life is, uh, you deal with a lot of people. And so I, I suffer from this too, that I feel like, oh, I'm always behind the screen. And then I go to the movie theater and then I sit in a restaurant and my life is so co- compartmentalized in these yeah. systems. You go mm-hmm. to the gym, you go to the tanning salon, everything. It's like all these rooms with a function that you go in and everything's optimized. And I want to be free, like a free... Uh, I like just want to be a wild stallion hundred thousand years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to run. And through. then you go to nature, and I think it's very unhuman to just sit still and look around. And I think now, it, uh, sort of meditation is popularized. Is that you're a good human if you can sit still. Mm-hmm. But we actually go there, and it's like, well, yeah, this is awesome, and I'm enjoying this. But for how long should I enjoy it? This is beautiful. Should we stay here for five minutes, twenty minutes? maybe an hour or should we have lunch here and really take it in and stay for two days or Mm -hmm. should I move here? And am I a better human if I get away from other humans? And and so I I feel like there's a, there's also a lot of commercial interest, but I think there's a, 
there's always a, 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 a craving for what you don't have. So if you are fascinated with the exotic and the exotic is maybe the empty lands and then you get there and it turns out that it's re- it's not really for you you're, you're more wired for interacting with a lot of humans mm-hmm. then maybe you're a little disappointed that uh, you thought you would find something more joyous than your office life but it turns out your office life is more beautiful than uh, but I think you're getting a, a good point that I, yeah, that I that I often have in conversation with people which is like you want to go to a place or I do often and understand whether you, what it would be like to live there. And that's different from the landscape desire, but like, you know, being in a place, like, did I make the right choice to, to contrive my life to a city in one of the coldest countries in the world? Or could I have imagined a life as like, you know, on the beach selling trinkets or something like that? Yeah, I, like, I think this is a very common uh, thought when you live in a cold place. Well, you know, there's an artist named Nikki Lee who I used to like a long time ago, and she would like enter into a culture and like kind of appropriate everything about it. And she's, a, I think she's Korean. Um, so she would like become an old, you know, go to an old age home and like just hang out with the old people and then start to dress like them and then they'd be accepted as a, as a member of the group. But she'd do that all over the world. And I think a lot of us have this desire to, because you only get one life to imagine. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's different people. Some people are completely happy where they are when they're born there. And, uh, mm. I think the curiosity of otherness, like uh, for me anyway, being someone else or being something else is uh, is uh, something I'm, I'm constantly fighting to suppress, right? Like because I think because of performance. Maybe you should embro- embrace it. Yeah, maybe I should. I should become a chameleon. <laughs> but there is a, a, a growing up uh, in a country that's cold most of the year. Mm-hmm. So I, I think... Both the Netherlands and Toronto don't have the, the climate that people envy. Mm. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But I also know people who grew up in uh, California or in uh, Rio, and they envy sort of a place with a more um, yeah with like they might envy life in climate. London when there, there's a lot mm-hmm. of music, there's a lot of culture, there's a lot of fashion, and the the climate uh, allows you to wear a lot of clothes. So mm-hmm. they're always in flip-flops and t-shirts and they envy a place where you can express yourself in your clothing. And in, 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 they're in a place where it's just too hot to express yourself through clothing. Well, I was um, when we landed, we landed in Las Vegas and we didn't want to wait for like a rental car shuttle bus because it was like an hour or something. So we got in a cab and the ca- we asked the cab driver, oh, are you from here? She's like, no. We we're like, do you like it? She's like, I hate it. <laughs> we're like, why do you hate it? She's like, it's so dry. It's always sunny. <laughs> it's like she started to enumerate, you know, of yeah. course, like all the things that, you know. Well, that's an interesting point that you, you, you go to places and vacation already by not having responsibility and uh, eating everything you want and, uh, and swimming. <laughs> right. It's already great. So you start thinking, why am I not living here? And, and, <laughs> and for, me, for me, this was a, uh, even a, an option because my mom's from Brazil and I could live there. And mm. every time we went there, you know, when you have your daily life and you're trying to be disciplined, so you're like, not don't eat too many sweets and uh, clean up after yourself. And then you go on vacation and all that's out the door and you're having so much fun. Yeah. But then uh, me and my two sisters, we all considered living in Brazil at some point in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so I think that my little sister went there for half a year to intern at a design company. And she, she really considered, like, is, do I want to build a life here? And it turns out that 
life and vacation are very different, especially in a place like Brazil. It's mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. it's a great place for vacation, and it's a very difficult place to work because things. If you come from the Netherlands, things there are so inefficient, and it's really hard to get things done. And uh, there's a hierarchy in working, and infrastructure is bad, and all these things that you don't consider when you're sitting mm-hmm. at the beach. Yeah. I mean, have you ever been on a, a vacation that seems like it's going on a little too long? You're like, <laughs> you're, you're kind of like well, sick of the people it, you're around. And. That, that again is with, with our life is also a bit like we always bring our laptops. So if you want to go back into your mind and into mm-hmm. your work mode, it's very easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like my fantasy on vacation is always actually to like squirrel away like a couple hours on my laptop to like try and program something new that... <clears throat> ordinarily I wouldn't allow myself the time yeah, for it because I'd yeah. have a deadline or something that was competing for it. Um, like to, to actually be a child again, usually actually, you know, which is funny because I think I, I often think I, that I really feel like you should take a sabbatical year. <laughs> a friend of mine, so that's what a friend of mine just did. He, he works at Etsy and he was, he was an artist and he still is. Um, but you know, his life, you know, working as a, a higher up design person at Etsy, like takes its toll. And so he's taking a, a sabbatical to Japan for like six weeks. And, uh, uh, I don't think six weeks, six weeks is long enough, but, um, no, but, but, but it's that's something a, that's a yeah. thing that's happening. And but that's and, not vacation. Yeah. It's, it's, it has a different name. That's an interesting thing. We call it sabbatical. And then well, sabbatical used to belong to the academic world as like, it was a necessary, um, a necessary time away from the the like from routine the routine yeah to to think freely to let your subconscious do some work to 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 challenge your expectations of normal it's very similar to the residency i think in art which you've talked about not liking but i think can sometimes put you in this position where you have to question um, the tools and routines that you did i mention not liking residency because i did it uh, I twice and i did like it I think you've said that you don't need a residency because you have a laptop and you can just like be uh, oh, anywhere. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, I I can say that uh, as difficult as New York of a, is sometimes mm-hmm. in the Netherlands, um, there's this thing when you come back from vacation and it's kind of gray and rainy and it's, it takes like a week to get back and accepting that this is where you live because for especially if you come back from Brazil and everything's tropical and sunny and fun. Mm-hmm. And you get back to real life. To me, it, travel always felt like stepping into a dream. And then when you come back home, you wake up again. But mm. since I live in New York and the U.S. is such a weird place, it still feels like you're in a haze. It never, yeah. I never wake up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think uh, generally on vacation, actually, for the first few days, I go through a period of anxiety. Like I woke up this morning at 5.30 a.m. I was like, and I had a hard time going back to sleep. <laughs> I imagine you in bed all sweaty. It's like, ah, is the CSS done? Guys, we need to prototype this. How's the UX doing? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like being, you know, kind of being forced to slow down. I, I imagine you <clears throat> in bed soaking in sweat, but with three iPads wrapped around you that are beeping. <laughs> but I was going to say there's one exception to this, which um, is... There's a, um, my parents have a place in the country in Canada outside Toronto. And if I go there um, for more, it has to be for three days or more. Like there has to be no like, and and if I've, if I've just finished some work or whatever, but basically like 
if I go there uh, for a week, like, and, and I, do, I do this very rarely now, but I basically fall asleep and don't wake up for like three days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we, I think we all have that place, whether it's our family home or something where it's a, va- the, it's a different kind of vacation. It's like, it's like literally you just go back to being protected by, you know, it's almost like a womb-like state. Of, and it's different from a, any of the vacation modes we've talked about so far. Well, it's also because it's very familiar. So it, mm-hmm. it, you know exactly where you're going to. So Everything's just where it the, should be. The part of yeah. your brain where you're trying to find the right place to eat and trying to find out where to park, you don't need to think about all that stuff. So that's yeah. very uh, relaxing. But why don't why don't we... Call, there should be a word for that. Maybe there is in some other culture, which is like... It's like it's called like baby vacation. <laughs> that like but basically. Well, I, I think this is a, 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 a again, going to sound very privileged, but th- there's the difference of the second home and traveling mm-hmm. to an, a, um, because uh, wealthy people have to park their wealth somewhere, and then often that's in a second home. Mm-hmm. And then um, I remember one year we decided not to go. We, we went to Brazil every winter to have a break of the cold. But one year we decided to go upstate and rented a house there, a cabin. And there were all these uh, big, it seemed like wealthy homes. And it was Christmas, so you would think that's the time that everybody goes to from New York to their second home. Mm-hmm. But since it was snowing, you could see who was there and who wasn't. You could see the footsteps. And mm. most of the homes nobody went to. And it, I, I spoke to people um my gallerist here in new york he was saying uh, we think that most you know we think of people as rich assholes but a lot of collectors are people who work their ass off on a good idea and work their whole life Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of people who genuinely are uh, hard workers and uh, got ahead and a lot of them bought a second home but they they're such workaholics that they never go so my gallerist always gets these offers from their collectors like please go to my it's it's empty 51 weeks of the year just please just go they don't have time to enjoy that uh, um. yeah, that's terrible. and and another thing i spoke to one of the artists also of postmasters who had a home upstate and he said oh having a second home is a nightmare and if i revisit he sold it but if i revisit how much time i spent repairing and uh, how much time I, uh, how much money I invested in it, and property taxes, and blah blah blah. I could have gone on so many five-star uh, hotel type of vacations. Right. Uh, but there's That's something, there's something about living in the city and then having your pied-à-terre or your, yeah, your your little dream place with the dream view. So my parents actually do live in two homes. They have a like a country home and a city home and then they have a third yeah. home so just to call it my privilege which is a condominium are, are you are you embarrassed to admit this no 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 which is a condominium in vancouver and the funny and they only use the condominium in vancouver maybe three months of the year but i have to say um they don't need this condominium in vancouver my sister lives there they could stay with her but they don't like hotels and they so they they're weird because what like, do they not like about hotels they d- my, they like they like the familiarity. They like the baby vacation. They, they like the idea of being swaddled in what they know. Well, I, I in fact, they don't travel ho- anywhere else except for Vancouver. That's the only place okay. they go. Yeah, I do agree. Hotels are weird when you stay for more than four days. Mm-hmm. Well, I say yeah. I've stayed in quite a few hotels. I mean, it depends on how nice the hotel is. They're they're weird immediately sometimes when you walk into like certain certain like uh, sort of motel style hotels can be like immediately uncomfortable because you're you're worried that you're going to get bed bugs or something. But certainly like there's 
there's a certain level of luxury where suddenly the hotel is an experience that you prefer over your regular yeah, life. But but it's funny that the, the luxury hotels I've stayed in, and they were really pretty nice. And even after three or four days, um, it gets weird. But mm. I, um, I wanted to talk about Magic Leap just uh, released a oh, prototype, yeah, released yeah, a yeah. press release, and and then I was thinking about VR. And there's also a movie. Steven Spielberg is making a movie about VR. Yeah. In a sort of post-apocalyptic future where people are dirt poor, but they'll use VR to escape. <clears throat> this is and the perfect thing to talk about. Great segue. I forgot about that. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. Here we and, go. And so <laughs> it also reminds me of that movie Total Recall and, and the, the book that mm-hmm. uh, you go in this virtual vacation, but you're not even sure if it's real or not. And they create this adventure and uh, you go around the world without traveling. That's what I was trying to talk about earlier when I was talking about the Grand Canyon. Like, there's no reason anyone needs to go there. Why is it? I, I kept thinking uh, it should be a VR experience. But then I noticed that they had put up signs everywhere that said, no drone zone. Like, literally, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, no drone zone. You weren't allowed that's, to fly a drone there. I was like, well, how are we going to create a VR? Yeah. yeah, but how are we going to get They had like branded the idea of no drones. But how are we going to create a simulation of this space if we can't bring a drone here to map it? Um, I, I, I assume it's actually a copyright claim against the Grand Canyon is yeah. the reason that you can't have a drone there. It's also funny that you have VR, you could create anything, but then you want to recreate something that already exists. Mm-hmm. Well, this is what that's what Las Vegas is, right? Like, so simul- simulacra comes into this discussion. At what point, like, is Las Vegas a good stand-in for Paris? At what point is a VR experience a good stand-in for Las Vegas? Well, I, I think you could already argue, if, if you don't think of VR as literally the helmet, but if you think of social media and podcasts and the internet as a sort of escape from reality as well. Mm-hmm. And if, if you just think of media combined, so music, movies, everything when you step into this dream world it, and tweets, and it, it, as opposed to uh, not being on a screen. So screen mm-hmm. time and off screen. Right. Um, then we're already in in the fantasy world most of the time. Yeah, I mean, the Ma- Magic Leap's interesting because everyone thought it was vaporware, right? We should talk a little bit about this uh, almost not a press release, but just a website landing page. <laughs> 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 but then, like, for people that don't know, this is like one of the most over. Well, it was quote unquote overvalued. That's what everyone wrote that it was overvalued because well, they had more money poured is- into this company than. Magic Leap started and they just have a name and they have this insane ambition of creating hyper-reality. They had like there's a, a lot of investment, that, yeah. but they never showed anyone a working demo. They had some like marketing secretive. clips. They had some marketing clips of like a whale on the beach floating over everyone's head. Yeah, but that could like. just be made in After Effects. But nobody yeah. got to try the prototype so far. Yeah, that's right. And then someone did try the prototype. Maybe it was like a year ago or so, but it was like really way bigger and tethered. And it's like... Yeah, you had like three desktop computers in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they came up with this landing page this week and said, like, okay, the Magic Leap 1, right? It's called, like, Magic Leap 1 or something like that, uh, is going to be available next year. They don't say when next year, just next year. Yeah, sign they up can for also, whenever the year passes, it can be the year after that. So they could just keep that landing page. Yeah. And say, no, it's not in 2020, 2021. Okay, next but, year. Yeah. But I think the most important thing about this website is, like, they also took it as an opportunity to, ma- to try and make this thing fashionable. Because their biggest competitor, the first product to market that no one wants or has, is the uh, Microsoft HoloLens. Though I was actually speaking to some, uh, like, a 
like I was working with the public library in Toronto and they had recently bought a bunch of HoloLens. I was like, no, <laughs> did, <laughs> did you try it? HoloLens? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a very narrow field of view, right? Like, <clears throat> it's but did not... you like it? No, I, I don't think it's good, good enough yet, right? So okay. uh, anyway, so the the Magic Leap is apparently a step forward because <clears throat> it uses this light field projection system, which projects not the actual light, but the physics of like the physical direction. It's like a kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, but there was this camera. Did you ever use a light truck camera? It was like, um, not a Leica, not to be confused with Leica, but light truck cameras used light field recording. Is it the camera where you can refocus afterwards? Yeah, or? exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and you, you can also use like light fields to look around corners. I think the Navy uses it, <clears throat> or not the Navy, like the Marines use it in some kind of high-tech military gear to look around corners and things like that, because you can see the world from the the reflected light. Uh, anyway, I don't fully understand the physics, but they exist. And what's different about the, Magic Leap? The, yeah, Magic Leap is mixed reality, right? It's not just the... Uh, you can That's still true. see see through it. But as soon as you say mixed reality, the, you know, you're getting into this, like, um, there's, like, a little bit of a slippery slope towards, like, how much of reality... Just like in your... Think about your desktop, and you start to put windows on top of it, on top of windows, and eventually you get to this place where you can't see the desktop anymore. So I think with mixed reality, you have to assume that it consumes virtual reality as well because the, the the amount of layering that will occur eventually might supersede, right? Like, why would you... Yeah. It's, but it's, it, a, it's a tunnel you at, you're walking yeah. down. If you look at history, uh, already with the invention of uh, photography, people could have thought, well, there's no reason for me to go to the pyramids because I have a photo. Mm-hmm. And then film came along, and uh, and then color film and 3D film, and it's like, oh, there's no reason to go to the Grand Canyon. I can, it, it, for example, if you look at uh, nature documentaries, mm-hmm. uh, now they're getting more and more amazing technology. <clears throat> so they have time lapses with camera movements and uh, extreme perspectives and extreme close-ups. So they give you a version of observing animals that no human in one lifetime could observe. Yeah, yeah, it's the so, same argument so it, of, like, why would I go to a sports game when I could watch a better version of it on TV, right? Yeah, and so there's something about the thrill of being in a stadium with a lot of people, and there's something about the thrill of being in the jungle and waiting to hopefully see one animal. Mm-hmm. But overall, uh, I think most people are happy watching nature documentaries, and they don't have to see a cobra up close. They'd rather right. see that on TV and be safe. So we, you could argue already that a lot of people choose... Uh, to watch a mediated experience of, of travel. Well, yeah, I mean, you're kind of... Or even good... Anthony Bourdain or those type of shows where they eat really f- weird food and they go to yeah. places and they eat poisonous foods and try it out. And, yeah. You're, you're, trying to, you're kind of making my good point for me, which is the visitor center. Like, the Magic Leap and the documentary or whatever, that's all the visitor center. We're all consuming the visitor center. And you kind of, like, you have to fall off the cliff to, to have the other experience. You have to, like, take a, you know, an hour-long trek outside but, of that. But, the, yeah, there's this funny cliche that you're cooler if you go on off the beaten path, and then these shows even uh, cater, <laughs> cater to that. True. No reservations by Anthony Bourdain. Like, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> we don't go yeah. to McDonald's. We go to some funky diner. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, it's better because it's, like, in this alleyway off the beaten. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it's a secret place that no one knows about, no one cares about. But it, it, it really um, de- yeah. depends what what your values are. But if, if you think that uh, the the carbon impact of travel is 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 huge, then we'd be better off if everybody was on VR. Mm. Or 
Yeah. Well, here's the other thing we could do. We could just be more nomadic. There are people that have existed, civilizations that have existed, that they don't stay in one place. There's nothing to say that we need property in one physical location. Yeah. You could just the, roam. Or the the other option uh, is just to learn to be more fascinated with the daily life. That uh, mm. Someone once told me about a novel. I don't even know if the novel existed, where someone describes their walk from their home to work in 24 chapters and just in detail describes like puts his hand in his right pocket and he finds mm-hmm. a quarter and he talks about all the indentations and imperfections on the quarter and that's one chapter and the other chapter is like <laughs> oh uh, there, there was chewing gum on this tile and there were two pieces of chewing gum on that tile and I'm, I'm very fascinated by uh, why a, a sunset is more beautiful than a parking garage or, or things like that I, I, mm-hmm. I have no explanation of why that's more beautiful i think you could find evolutionary reasons but it's always kind of difficult but yeah but if you're like if you're gursky you're you're doing a photo of a sunset at a parking garage and then that's (laughs) yeah that's a different kind of beauty but if if you live in a high rise in 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 the projects and you're you're taught that that's an ugly environment yeah yeah no no i mean that's that's the truth and then some cheesy photographer comes along and takes a photo of you and says it's beautiful right like the same yeah same same way i did with the you know the navajo uh rock collector yeah well i i think of uh when you think of movies a lot of the superhero movies start with kind of like uh, a huge explosion and like normal life is disrupted Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of fear and then safety, or the the beginning, or, or what's attacked, is always uh, a white wooden house and cornfields around it, mm-hmm. and a, a a swing like a old rubber tire on a rope on a tree. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's how people envision. That's if you want to find the symbol for happiness and safety, that's that. That's the wooden house yeah, and the family. Cool. But that's what I'm saying. That's the yeah, baby and vacation. The, and, and the something. opposite in, in like the last Blade Runner and even the Blade Runner before, the, the what seems post-apocalyptic is a tiny apartment in a huge city. It's shipping containers stacked on top of each yeah, other. That, that seems in, like yeah. the most miserable life is like being trapped <laughs> in a little space. But then yeah. for me, be, having rented that white wooden house for a week upstate, mm-hmm. it was so boring and I couldn't wait to get, get out of there. It was horrible. <laughs> And I like being in the tiny shack with all the Asian food around it, which is like the Blade Runner post-apocalyptic future. But I like all the weird noodle places. and the, <clears throat> so but You you remind it, me that, like, uh, I think Paul Virilio wrote about this, but at different stages in human, evol- not evolution, but I guess technical progress. And it's not even, you could debate whether progress planning? is the right. No, like, just like, the, the, if we take it back to transportation, really, what we're talking about is what allowed this, va- this like, myth uh, of that the vacation... The ideal myth of a vacation as this, like, I don't know, kind of adventurer's thing or this thing that's better than what you have locally was the evolution or the of transportation, right? And like, well, it was also you could all, it, it was you could only, only go so attainable far. for the wealthy before. And yeah, I think vacation was something that the wealthy did once in their lifetime. Then they would bring uh, all their belongings, almost, and they go somewhere for four months. And that was like part of becoming an adult. Is like, oh, you're going to travel for four months. Right, right, and of course, like there was, there were very. So the train was the big, you know, because we, you know, there's horses and horse and cart. You can only go so far far before the horse needed before your butt hurts. Well, I don't know. Like I'm out on the frontier here, and like the colonized 
sort of colony colonizing forces really almost died getting to this point and they shouldn't have really come this far right like it's a desert chris and i were joking like the like the local uh indigenous people were probably like what are these people thinking like why are they (laughs) like we're these like idiot white people who are like dying you know on their way here because there's no water i think someone in africa compared uh white people to mosquitoes that they can't sit still (laughs) <laughs> well regardless like uh it's it wasn't like it was you were risking life and death right and then the train comes along and what's interesting i think in that discussion is if you look at the early writing around the time that the trains come along is people talk about it being like this this perverted mo- mode of transportation that alienates the individual from the landscape because everything That's is true. just a everything is just a blur right yeah. and layers of abstraction have have come along since no, then it's so absolutely after the, true yeah. you know you get to the plane now and like you know when you look at the window of the plane which almost no one does anymore like i always like to look and see who's looking out the window of the plane you have this essentially the world's best experience of you know, that that you no, can't it's unbelievable relate to. It, it, yeah. it's funny because it I wrote about this. I think by the time we can fly to Mars, people are going to complain about the food on the way there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, oh, my hair gets so frizzy on that flight. It's like, do you know what you're doing? You're flying to Mars. Like nobody was able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the sense of wonder is gone. But um, the, the, there's a... Werner Herzog made a documentary about this gathering, I think, of... It, it's for a huge sand painting event and a lot of Buddhist monks from Tibet or Mongolia. Or, I don't know what, they travel from very far and one of the monks traveled on his hands and knees like crawling because he wanted to feel the earth and the journey and the distance. He wanted to measure the distance mm. with his body so he traveled, I don't know, what, two, four, eight hundred miles. His, his limbs were completely damaged from that trip and it, 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 it's like, you know, it's one of those torture yourself spiritual activities mm-hmm. but um it, it's exactly what you're talking about he he really wanted to physically feel the entire journey yeah that's incredible i mean I, that yesterday that when i the only time i really started to enjoy the grand canyon is when i like there was like a forest fire that they got that was happened there a few years ago in 2004 and the only I way took, i enjoy the grand canyon is when it burns well i took a like <laughs> so you could like walk into this section and it was like there was no paths and stuff and just being alone in that one section without any other people and just like you know picking pieces of pine cone up off the ground yeah. smelling like actually smelling the canyon like all of the senses coming well, together that, that's you're, you're going on vacation to feel distance and to be alone is it, i remember going hiking in uh, montenegro and we reached the peak of the mountain and there were several little peaks and there were maybe 20 people there and everybody was trying to sit as far away from the other as possible so, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we all came there to be alone, but there's 20 of us. Yeah, it's funny because we got to this point where we were going to hike down the path, a path, you know, like proper, go on a proper hike. But there are all these warnings all of a sudden because it's like a lot of people die taking this hike. And we saw some hikers that had just got back and we, you know, we got on the shuttle bus with them because we didn't want to walk all the way back. Anyway, we'll get into the, the whole story of the shuttle bus. But uh, they had taken three days to, a three-day hike and they had stayed overnight at different sections in the canyon and you know i overheard a conversation and they're talking about you know like freezing one night the winds another day like oh the warmth on the ground when you get to this point but like the they had been gotten so much closer to the thing i guess is what i'm trying to say is like from the visitor center 
what you could see was essentially a painting. You couldn't really see anything. You couldn't really feel anything. Mm. Um, and I, I think to feel it, I you had to like get it, down into it. It might be that you're so used to urban environments that uh, the same way when you take someone who grew up in the jungle and you take them to New York City, it's almost impossible for them to recognize the symbols they're seeing. So, mm. and and uh, I mean, all these things are stories, so I'm just trying to make a point. But if you would take someone from the jungle and take them to Whole Foods and the only thing they remember is like, oh, they had so many bananas. Mm. You know, the rest was unrecognizable to them because it's all packaged. And so maybe the same thing is for you in nature where it's so unfamiliar to you that you absorb only the visitor center because it's kind of a little city. That's what made impact on you. Well, not to me. I mean, I really dislike the visitor center experience. Well, you want to feel special, so you try to (laughs) put yourself above the rest. Well, I'm going to tell you what, because, you know, what I'm going to do right after I finish recording this podcast is I'm going to go to an American diner. I'm going to go to like a, like a proper diner. Like that's an experience that I can't have in Canada because they don't exist anymore. They, or at least in Toronto, they've been completely like gentrified. And so going to a bad restaurant (laughs) to have bad burnt coffee and like simple eggs and like crappy sausage is is incredibly appealing to me like i i I love it like and whenever i'm in the cities with Kristen, we make a point of finding that's one of the reasons i don't like traveling in the u.s that much because the food is the same everywhere if you you travel through asia or europe every 200 kilometers is very different Mm, yeah the food here is more tex-mex but it's not very good and there's a lot of it trying to be like trying to be like what what you would find in Portland, Oregon, or New York, or something like that. It's like farm to table, kind of like, and you're like, what? Like we're in like a small rural yeah. town. Why are you trying you should, to do you this? You should go to Tokyo sometime. I think all your uh, concerns about feeling too much like you're on the beaten path, or the visitor center, or things are too familiar, <laughs> or the bad, it is all obliterated. <laughs> yeah. the japanese are like what is this we just, we just carved that with a with a knife uh, yeah, yeah but, i don't but know it, it, it's funny that, that there's i feel like i'm i'm as much of a i'm trapped in these uh, cliches as much as anybody else but there's these cliches that, that okay that's happiness so the cliche of the the the, the wooden house with the white picket fence and the uh, cornfields around it that's happiness and the other one is the empty beach Mm. The beach. So we were on our honeymoon in Hawaii, and I really enjoy beaches when there's lots of people. So my mm. favorite beach is Ipanema, and behind your back is skyscrapers, and in front of you is the ocean. Mm-hmm. And the beach kind of functions like a, a food court and a bar. So you, you sit down, and there's different <laughs> vendors, and you can have watermelon, or you can have some cheese, or you can have some beer, or you can have an ice cream. And, and kids are playing, and people running around, and people dress in weird ways so for me that's very entertaining and at the same time i can sit under the umbrella it's not too hot and it go in the water and just really enjoy that and but in hawaii the similar sort of busy beaches which i enjoy and then someone told us oh i'm gonna tell you about this secret beach and nobody knows about it so we went there and we almost destroyed our rental car it was very hard to get to and to drive through mud and rocks. <laughs> and then we get there and we were the only ones on the beach. And it's, mm-hmm. of course, it's Hawaii. It's a beautiful beach. Um, uh, the, the water was perfectly, the temperature was perfect. Uh, the, the sun was perfect. I think there was maybe two other people there, but they were quite far away. 
and I really wanted to leave in 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, let's go. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> it's just boring. It, I think it, it, it th- does remind me key- of I had a similar experience yeah, in, but in Prince Edward is, Island. Yeah. yeah, there's this advertised imagery. It, it's very visual. It's not even, and it's like, okay, this, if you're there, you're going to be happy. So mm-hmm. just, and, and then you get there and your mood doesn't change and you realize that your daily life is actually quite nice. And Remember I was saying about Costa Rica um, in the ocean. So I didn't have that experience. I, I didn't have the, uh, I didn't really enjoy Costa Rica until the last day. Uh, I, I enjoyed parts of it, but I was on this itinerary sprint that Chris and her sister put me on. And we were like, you know, four hours to see these ancient spheres, two hours to this jungle with a lineup that we can't get into. Like, you know, all these kinds of little day trippy things. And meanwhile, like our, our, where we were staying, there was like a beach, um, like five minutes from our house. And there was, it was like a basic beach, nothing special, but good waves. Like there, so there were some surfers and things like that. And like I was like, why don't we just go to like a local beach for a few hours? Yeah, you know, and it's and, the same and, we, and I had the best yeah. time of my life just body surfing. You know, just like yeah, yeah, running yeah. running into the waves. And honestly, like that's I'm the memory you, of that's the what it, that's what it's all about. Because that's what it's the, all about. There's the same thing in Rio. I have friends who live in Rio by the beach, and they're like, no, we got to go to the special beach, and then you have to do this walk through a waterfall, and then you get to the special beach. But it's the same waves, the same water, but they don't have all the entertaining people and the fun food. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather be at the beach that's two minute walk and then you're there and it's not. So but we spend so much time trying not to be like everyone but, else that we forget how to be ourselves. <laughs> but there's the, that funny thing of the feeling like you have to maximize the, the amount of impressions on a vacation, which is kind of contradictory to the idea of relaxing. It's almost like a marketing campaign or something for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, we got 10 minutes for kayaking, and then we got 12 minutes for rock climbing. And Yeah, no, that, that's why I like going to the same place, because I feel no obligation to go sightseeing. We haven't really I, talked about I, any I, other... I, I will say this, this uh, I really can't stand guided tours. And the worst to me is when you have a guided tour who used to be a teacher... And maybe mm-hmm. like a primary school teacher. And then they go like, and what do we see here? What do we call oh. this? And they go, no, that's not it. No. Yes. Good job. That, you were very one. perceptive. Good good of you. Yes. <laughs> Kristen, Kristen could give a great tour, though. Like she would. There are some people who really take that stuff serious because she was a tour guide at galleries. But um, I do. Who yeah. Take, who don't, do it, who of, don't do it that way, but do it yeah, through yeah. another. Yeah, I other see methods. a lot of guided tours here in New York and the people walk around. There's one person with a, a backpack with a flag and a little microphone and speakers. Mm-hmm. And then they say, well, this is where this movie scene was filmed and this is where that. And, and I do see a future there for uh, augmented reality where you it, there was a startup where they had uh, guided audio tours of cities by mm-hmm. the guy who founded Groupon. It turned out to be quite difficult to get people to do that. But that seems like a nice way to travel is in your own city, but there's this uh, augmented reality layer that unlocks all this information, and that that mm-hmm. way you re-view everything that's familiar. It's like, oh, I didn't know that about my neighbor. I didn't know that about this building that I've walked mm-hmm. past a million times. It's funny. I met I met the partner of the guy who founded Groupon, uh, his wife, um, and she uh, she helps fund the arts in Chicago. But famously, he hates <laughs> he hates the arts. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is he, he more into pop culture or something? 
Yeah, he just doesn't get why people aren't paying more attention to him, apparently. Like, he's very yeah. much into himself. He's like this narcissist. <laughs> I funded Groupon. I founded Groupon. Like, do you know what kind of a genius I am? Yeah. I'm <laughs> the <artist>. Coupons. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So you're, you're about to go on vacation to the Netherlands. Should we? Or do you have any... Um, well, we you know, all. my, my motto yeah. is uh, never working, never not working. So I, I'm not really going on vacation. Well, you know, the trend, you know, if you if if in startup culture these days, they don't talk about work life balance. They'll they'll often talk about how that's a myth. Uh, this is the current marketing trend. And I can get behind it sometimes, but they'll talk about work life. Integ- it's about finding work life integration. Well, I, I feel um, that way for sure. But I, I do like that. I'm going to see my family. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, family's important. So I'm I'm going to do the same thing. We're going to drive uh, down and spend I, time with Kristen's family. Yeah, for me the work-life balance basically I work 3 hours a day any day whether I'm on vacation or at home. It just means on vacation the the, uh, the other parts are more interesting the other hours. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have, you have a really good, a good integration going on. I I feel we, like most people work 3 hours a day but there's just a lot of inefficiencies whether it's a lot the, of meetings, it's the, true. the commute and the the <laughs> The meetings and all that stuff, and yeah, but I, yeah. I don't think you can really uh, do more thinking and, and creative uh, moments than three hours a day. It's hard to imagine. No, I think you're right. I think if I was to, well, what, on weekends I cram in all my studio work, and or I'll take a Friday off or whatever, and I reach kind of a local when, maximum. When, when are you gonna admit to yourself that your pot of gold is big enough for you to? <laughs> Say goodbye to your, your day job. <laughs> yeah, I have to accumulate more wealth than I. I, I, have I, don't, be, I don't. You have to be more uh, safe. Yeah. yeah, I need more safety. <laughs> and the thing is, when we're on vacation, we're not spending a lot of money either. I'm very. We're very frugal. It's, yeah. it's true. I don't need to work as much as I do, and I continue to add more work. And the thing is, I get a lot of joy out of it. Yeah, um, you love your work. It's fine. But anyway, um, I'm curious if you, what would happen if you took a sabbatical and maybe. If you decided to live an ego year, it's the year purely focused on you and what comes out mm-hmm. of you instead of trying to serve many communities. Hmm. I, you know, I just find, I I always think of life as I'm pursuing my research, and wherever my research takes me, I think if I had a year away from that work, I would just create a new. My research would just take me to that place, and I would find a way to fill it with just as much work. And I wouldn't call it work, and I never do. The only people that call it work are people who I love, and I feel bad about that. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, loves. <laughs> sorry, well, loved I, I, Yeah, I know that to a lot of people, you, you have that that uh, motto: you either you live to work or you work to live. And for people who work to mm-hmm. live, then the, the time off is uh, what they live for. Well, because people see from the outside, they'll see like, oh, Jeremy, like you didn't sleep last night. You're so stressed or like this or that. And that doesn't happen that often. But I'm just saying like, I'll be, I'll feel miserable sometimes, but I'm actually not feeling, I don't actually feel miserable. I just feel in, I, I don't know, like personally, I'm, I'm up for all of the extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and until but, I've but, had, but do you feel like them. the, the vacation, uh, is needed because if if your mind yeah. is always in full gear and you're always communicating with so many people that if you wouldn't have vacation it would it, let's say you didn't even have weekends because that's kind of a mini vacation every week mm-hmm. but if have you ever had a stretch of seven day weeks for a few months mm. what without doing anything else no I mean what, what, no 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 what, what I'm saying is 
uh, oh. vacation oh, yes, is, yes. is part of, of everybody's calendar. Do, do I work seven days a week? Yes. And so have I ever had a time where I, I, I where no, I've no, no, but, a but even if, uh, uh, so your weekend is, is uh, more for art and the week is more for uh, fresh books. Mm-hmm. But have you ever had a period where it was fresh books or whatever company you worked for maybe a mm-hmm. hundred days straight without any weekends or vacation? No, I, I don't think I would do that. I would I would walk away from that situation. Yeah, I have it, to be in control. Because yeah. somebody created the weekend as a sort of mini vacation. Yeah, it, was inve- it was invented in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, yeah and you, uh, and you, you, you sent me this article of the disappearance of the weekend. Yes, yeah, This is away. something that you were talking about, like work-life balance. And so with this always on and the app economy and the app way of working and notifications, mm-hmm. you, 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 your mind is always... Uh, yeah. No, I think it's really important. I, here's the thing. Like, I enjoy it, but right now in the desert, like, we're going to stop talking. I'm going to turn, like, my, my phone data plan off, and I'm going to be roaming around in the desert later today going to visit some, like, Pueblo mountain village or something like that. And I'm going to be really happy with that experience. Yeah. I would never, but I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about what we've been talking about this whole, you know, whole time and about you, my place in relationship see, to that place. Do you see the weekend as vacation? Yeah. The thing is like what we, I think the good point we've been making this whole podcast is I don't see it as an Instagrammed brunch and um, a, like a movie and a dinner or something like that. Or like I see everything as a sort of continuum or continuous experience. And th- these comp- compartments are what we're, what I'm trying, what I'm trying to say is like my good point is like these compartments don't make any sense. That we could, you could think of it more of a spec as a spectrum. Uh, yeah. You could kind of break break the rules a little more often and have a lot more fun. And I, I really do enjoy breaking rules. I would say that's like, I think you do too. Um, I think every artist has a, s- a certain rebel rebellious <laughs> streak in them, uh, where it's like they don't want a vacation to be a vacation. They want it to almost be like, you know, something else. They don't want their work to be work. They want it to be a vacation. Like you're mixing it up and you're not you're not letting anyone well, else tell yeah, you how to I, do I, it. I think uh, it's very different when you work in a, a bigger structure with a, a lot of responsibilities. And then uh, like, let's say you're a, a, a tax attorney, you're a specialist in that and you enjoy it. You enjoy helping people to pay less taxes and organizing their information but uh, mm. sometimes you need a break because your, your brain just uh, collapses if it's if you wouldn't have any weekends and uh, no of course yeah that's like that, literally yeah just i mean there's examples the of people who work themselves to death yeah 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 you could work yourself to death you could also like vacation yourself to death one of the warnings at at grand canyon was like (laughs) do not do not try to make it to the colorado river and back in one day many people have tried and died doing it (laughs) and had it translated in multiple languages like this the sometimes our ambition exceeds our our capacity well that's again Uh, that uh, when you get too ambitious on vacation but that's the thing ambition on vacation is uh, what I'm saying is like ambition in life and in work is is pretty much the same. That you most people just remap whatever they're doing in their regular life to their vacation. There's no difference actually. They'll they'll call it different because it's like they're eating different foods, they're in a different place, but they're kind of just re they're performing the same performance that they you know in their accounting job. But okay, let's map accounting to the Grand Canyon. Um, and let's like see how would that how, what does that look like? Oh, it looks like going to the visitor center uh you know checking these boxes going on the shuttle bus doing things 
Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of patronizing the accountant because I think that's not what, what an accountant would do. But um, I'm just saying, I think my good point is, at least for me anyway, breaking some of the rules is important along the way. Um, otherwise, I don't find anything new. And I'm, I guess maybe that's stupid of me that I'm looking for novelty, but I really do enjoy novelty. And that travel is is an opportunity to see something that I didn't see before. And we've talked about that previously on the podcast, which is like, because you go through these routines and you see the same thing again, you reinforce your bubble. And then it's like, how do you break outside your bubble? Well, you know, certainly most vacations are organized to prevent you from doing that. It's like you go to Cuba and you don't go to Havana. You stay inside the Club Med kind of like the, I, I, the, yeah. know, the I hotel. Would, I feel like if, if you would ever have to go on a vacation to break your own bubble, you you should be with some... <laughs> anti-abortion church group and hang out with them for a while what that's what i'm planning next week (laughs) (laughs) that's my new year's plan (laughs) but anyway uh yeah but you do meet different people like that like you have you're forced to sometimes anyway uh maybe that's cliche maybe that there's no way to escape that those traps but that's where we are yeah okay Um, then we have a field recording we do have a field recording which is a, a fantastic one speaking of like getting outside of of normal um This is a a field recording from Jay Gillian. Jay writes, Greetings, my name is Jay Gillian, and I am a professor of juggling at the Dance and Circus University in Stockholm. I've been an artist using juggling as my main technique of expression for the past 25 years. 25 years! Your podcast is really inspiring, and the jugglers around here really appreciate the conversations you share. We wanted to send you a field recording, we hope... I want to intersect. Sometimes people ask me, oh, how's the podcast going? Is it successful? And I would say... Knowing that the the professor of juggling is a fan of the podcast is a huge. I, I did you ever dream that there would be a professor of juggling who listened to us? No, when and when I told you this, you were like, "Wow!" Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <stunned. laughs> but anyway, this is fantastic. Uh, Jay says we wanted to send you a field recording. We hope you consider including it in an episode. This is a recording of the four graduating jugglers who will get their BA in circus with a focus in juggling next spring. They are in the juggling studio at the university, and all of them are improvising with clubs. I'm walking around the studio, capturing whatever ambient sounds they happen to make through their visual practice. I thought it would be fun to share it with you, since you can only imagine what kind of shapes and patterns they are making in the air as you listen to the recording. Wow. Um, so thank you so much, Jay. Uh, this is It's quite a recording, and, and, and certainly it's not one I would have ever imagined um, yeah. experiencing. So thanks for sending it. Here's a in. little few-minute vacation into the land of juggling. I know, right? Jay, sell tickets. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much. We really enjoyed uh, the, the, uh, the talking about uh, you, Jay, on air. And thanks to everyone who's sending in their field recordings. We're still looking for more. I know I just got a request from someone uh, for our email address today. You can send, uh, just do a Google search for either Raphael or I, and our websites have our email address on them. Yeah, and buy our mugs, goodpointpodcast.com. Oh, right. Yeah, we still have mugs for sale and crop tops. Okay. <laughs> thanks okay, so much. You're helping. Douglas. Okay. Bye, Bye, everyone. Have a great vacation. Bye. Bye.